0: Welcome to another episode of Anything Goes James English Show. And today's guest, we've got the lovely Brad Welsh. How are we, brother?
1: Very good, James. Very nice to meet you. And welcome to our beautiful city of Edinburgh. Thanks
0: for having me, mate. It's okay, mate. Like I say, I don't sit with any questions, Brad, so it's a case of we just roll with it. Obviously, a bit of your background. You grew up in a tough house in a scheme. Um, turned boxing for turn f- what? 7,
1: 8? 7-year-old, yeah. I turned um, my energies.
0: You became Edinburgh Casual. Started your own stuff, kind of stuff with Edinburgh stuff. And then, in and out prison, a couple of times, but the stuff that you're doing now, I think, is phenomenal. All the stuff with the kids, people coming to your boxing gym. I think it's brilliant what you're doing to make changes in other people's life. Yeah. So we'll go right back to the Brad, uh, start, Brad, where it all started for you, where you kind of grew up and where it kind of led you in life.
1: Well, I think, James, uh, my, my story can be um, related to where many people will be watching your podcast, yeah? They're all young laddies through the street, James, aren't we? I mean, that's mm. what, going back 35, 40 years ago. That's where we were brought up housing schemes. You know, it was like Edinburgh, Edinburgh and Glasgow had city centres, but the vast majority of people were born in housing schemes, weren't they? And back then they were good places, they were places full of community, you know, so I'm thankful that I was brought up there. And it did shape me, and I suppose, James, we all are, everybody, are the people we are because of our past experiences, aren't we? So being brought up in that housing scheme, yeah, it did shape me and stuff For like that. It was a, an area in Edinburgh called Moulding, and it's on the south of Edinburgh. It's next to Craig and and Lydrian. These were areas that were... They had the house in the after the war and stuff like that, be be shabby uh, prefabs that were built, yeah. So I was born there to uh, my mum, Patricia, and my my father, um, Tony, and I had a brother, Sean, yeah, so we were brought up there at the age of seven-year-old. Um, it's just basically the time that I can remember being there, yeah. Can't, for some reason, I don't know if it's because of all the punches to the head, James, huh. as a boxer, I can't even remember past that. But seven-year-old, I was, I they were my sort of formation years, uh, being brought up and um, got involved in boxing for there, yeah. More than still to this day. It's a very, very rough place. Um social and economically alienated because of where it is. I mean there's no frontline services there. I'm quite proud that I've already came full circle that I'm actually back in that area now and I'm actually providing services for that you know, for the kids and stuff, yeah. I think it's brilliant. And what age did you start getting into boxing, Brad? At seven year old my my brother Sean, um he took me to uh, Meadowbank Stadium and um he t- actually took me to Karate because he went to Karate. My mum was very keen to Get me involved at that time at seven year old uh, my parents relationship had um, dismantled you and my mum basically kicked my dad out so I was just well, brought up a single parent with my mum and she thought it would be a good way for my energy I've always been full jibs, energy she, was, she wanted to get me into boxing mm-hmm. so at seven year old I went to Meadowbank Stadium mm-hmm.
0: so obviously the boxing you, you kind of learned how to handle yourself I watched a few of your videos I think you were only nine, ten punching in a bag but you were unbelievable then you had some. you had a great
1: talent I don't know about that I think as a young kid young Young kids that take up sport, they often show good talent, yeah. They often show, you know, a, a natural sort of ability to, to you know to be to play sport, yeah. I just think boxing was something that I, I focused on and I did like hitting things, yeah? Mm-hmm. I like hitting things. And I suppose I was a part of that. No, looking back now, at the age of 7 years old, you never rationalise that you were doing that for a reason. But there's no doubt about that in my adulthood, looking back, James, that I used boxing, even at seven-year-old, as a vehicle to channel my energies and not to think about what was going on in family life, yeah?
0: Aye, because like I say, when you're brought up in that environment, it can be tough, we can channel that through whether it's sitting in a room or whether it's violence, because we feel more, a wee bit more important.
1: Well, of course, yeah, and that's it, there's no about that playing sport, and it's the reason why I use it now as a medium to engage with kids. Is it because you get endorphins from it, you're focused on it, you know? So, and yeah, I suppose, but back then, again, it's a different epoch of time, wasn't it? You've got to remember in the communities back then, even though they were very community-led, there was nothing in them. Because mm-hmm.
0: yeah. you're very well-respected in Edinburgh. Like I say, we've all done wrong in life, including myself. But we're trying to rectify that now with doing good things. When you started getting into like, the fights and you realised you could handle yourself, did you, was it? Because
1: I think you said you had two, 300 fights by the time you were 12 or 13. No, I had about 200 fights by the time I was about 13, yeah. And that was because back then, boxing was a furnishing sport. And it was only one of the mediums that, you know, people could have. You either played football, you boxed, eh? or you mm-hmm. played music. Or you listened to music. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the sport was very, very well attended and you'd have maybe two or three contests a week. You could. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to championships, you box six or seven times. So I I used boxing as a vehicle, and it's only now, I didn't realise it then. But I did, it was the way that I showed my self-esteem, yeah. And all, all young kids selling the ghettos and the area, yeah, were thrived to, to try and express their self-esteem. Some did it through their music, some did it through their clothing i done it through with my hands probably do you
0: think if you never had the box in your life it would be totally different for where you are now most
1: definitely but that's great in, in hindsight isn't it because it, normally it's the Arnold story we call it that boxing saved a young kid from going down the wrong path well I'm a little bit different for that because I did have boxing right up to the age of 17 16, 17 but at the same time James I was living a dual life yeah? because a young kid being brought up in and I and I realise now that that through the medium of me being very good at boxing as a young kid, yeah, just to clarify, because I wasn't that good later on, but as a, I was a wee child sort of prodigy. I was that good when I was younger and winning everything and stuff. And it, that, that created a self-esteem in me, which then I transferred into the environment that I was in. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Nobody being a bully, because I can quite categorically say that. I've never been that, and anybody that knows me knows that, yeah. But at the age of 12 through my schooling and, and into my my teenage years, I've developed a reputation on the streets of Edinburgh as um, being involved in sort of gang culture. Mm-hmm.
0: But like I say, the gang kind of culture is for a wee bit of acceptance as well because you feel as if your pals kind of love you and if there's a broken home uh, you're no feeling oh. getting that love inside the house. It's easy to get in the gang culture but you feel accepted when you're doing daft shit you're all laughing joke. We all know when we mention Hibs, your name, your your name's associated with Hibs, Brad Welsh. You know
1: that yourself. Well, that, again, how how did the, how did you get into that? Well, like seen, you were talking about that, it's not just this is not just unique to the city of Edinburgh. For the first time, the, since the mod generation, you know, the seventies and stuff, you had like a new gang culture, didn't you? You had a new expose a UK culture, which was the casual scene, yeah, you called it the casual scene. Mm-hmm. And that was just basically groups of young kids getting behind a new movement, and the movement was fashion led. And it was also it was sport because youngsters at that age, what other medium, what other outlets did they have to go and have entertainment? You went to the football. Right? And that was always always been trouble at football matches. But this new this new expose of or should I say, culture was became around a casual scene, yeah? And I was just there at that time. I wasn't the leader behind it, I wasn't the person that made it. This just evolved, yeah. It evolved not just the emblem but Glass, Club Dean Dundee, all over and there's this new casual culture, which I was Quite fortunate, actually, James. I'll say that. I'm quite proud to say that. I've actually had the experiences of being a, a young boy being brought up with something that's real. As opposed to young kids today who are so about social media and there's no life experiences there for them. Mm. We were brought up in a generation in the 80s, early 80s, where you're going to football with your mates, living, yeah. I mean, remember, this was born out of frustration, born out of thatcher society. You know, when you weren't brought up in the ghettos and there's fuck all there, what did you do? Dress yourself up in nice clothes and go and belong with your pals and have a laugh. But for the first time ever, and as you'll appreciate being a man from Glasgow, there's always been gang culture. Always. Oh, I think I'll always but, be I'll always be there to the day we die. But for the first time ever, what you had in Scotland is you had a unique set of circumstances where gang culture now became an international thing. So you now had city versus city. And that's really what's quite unique about it. I mean, I'm not proud of the levels of violence and stuff. I mean, as you should probably know for me now, James, that you know, I'm anti violence mm-hmm. you, know? you know, I'm a poacher and gamekeeper, and that's what I preach to all the kids and stuff. But I also realise that the person I am is made through the experiences that I've had. Mm-hmm. So I've got no, no problem with going back and thinking about that and looking at it objectively now. So again, back to that, I got behind. I was always a boxer and that's, that's what I've done, winning championships and titles and stuff as a very young kid. And then I got involved with my brother We going to football, but I was one of the younger ones. I was only like 13 years old. But I would take the stuff the, the that I'd learn in gymnasiums and I'd use that on front lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I built up a bit of reputation in Scotland with people different more because again you had, wasn't it wasn't just teams, it was now city versus city. So for Aberdeen, Glasgow, Aberdeen, Dundee, everybody knew who everybody was. You yeah? were the main point for it.
0: Uh-huh. Because uh, I know you've got a big association with him, but again, you weren't in that culture very long either, were you? No, I wasn't
1: actually, that's the thing. About I was 13 year old, stuff so I, I went into it. And again, it was a, they were great times because you're remembering back, James, to a period of time that was carefree. Mm-hmm. And what you know, and fair enough, what that involved was if you look back as an adult, quite stupid, groups of your pals having gang gang violence basically. But it wasn't just about that. It was a commandership and travelling to other cities and one upmanship, you know, wearing the best clothes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But for me, when I was about I had a dual I had three now, three lines. I had a boxing line that I was trying to still do. I had this new casual culture, but then also got involved in criminality as well, James, mm-hmm. yeah? Because and i looking back now and again as with hindsight, I'm very aware of that, you know, it'd be People that write books and stuff like that and talk about their past, you know, you date with the brain you've got now. Mm-hmm. So, and I can, that's the only way that I can do it. And looking back, and I, would, I can no justify it, but I can explain it, that I was a young lad for the girls and we didn't have much, pal. So uh-huh. predaciousness was something that was bred into me. Because uh-huh. everybody else had stuff, and we never.
0: Aye.
1: And then what that breeds is when you're a young kid, you go off off track. And they, they father figure there, my brother, was basically my father, yeah. And he basically, he was involved in that as well. So it was a natural progression to go and do that. But I, I also started criminality, James. I started um, organising our young groups and stuff like that. And then, like, more proud to say it, but like taxing people and stuff like that when I was really young at 13. i um, was totally wrong. I'm, not, I'm embarrassed about that, you know what I mean? But it's partly who I was. And then we went on to obviously organise stuff with like smashing grabs and stuff like that, you know.
0: But again, like I say, everything, we've got to thank the past, no matter how well, far up it is. And like I say, your, your prime example of what you're achieving now. And we can get embarrassed and we can talk about it and go, ah, maybe, but again, that's what leads us to be the men we the day, to helping other people to do what we're And it's well, no, people who don't understand it growing up in a housing scheme, growing up with a single mum, realise how fucking hard it is. And when you've got a path, sometimes we've got to go down that path to make us the person who we're the day. So, like I say, I take my hat off to you, mate, because we spoke about before this and you're a visionary
1: and your plans I'm, and ideas are massive. I'm, I'm not embarrassed to, to go over the stuff I know I can deal with that on my phone now, you know, I've got a daughter and stuff like that. And I'm not even... You know, people have came to me and said, write books and stuff like that. And I couldn't have done that because I didn't know what to talk about stuff they go, But I do understand that it's part of who I am, as you said. But, you know, the natural progression for that is when you get onto that kind of path, why I, I'm happy to talk about it, and I'm happy to talk about it under certain circumstances right now, James, which you might not be aware of, and the public might not be aware of but I'm currently in a huge fight with a massive media company mm-hmm. called Bower Media. Right. Over in their Cash for Kids thing, and I've been fighting for about the last three months or am along with another group. And this is the kind of stuff that they would like me to talk about so that they can mm-hmm. try and shine a light on me and say, that's what he is. Uh-huh. Don't listen to him. Mm-hmm. But I'm doing that because today I'm speaking about it because I trust you, James. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And I trust the people to actually look beyond that mm-hmm. and see that that's who I was and this is who I am now. Mm-hmm. And for a long time in then, James, it's been 20-odd years now, I've been doing nothing but good, pal. Mm-hmm. 25 years. But a lot of people didn't want you to shed that, James, did they? They didn't want you, didn't want you to be, he's this, you know, people didn't even know me, mate. And all my life I've been blighted with Brad Welch, Brad Welch, Brad Welsh, Brad Welsh, Brad Brad Welsh. Welsh. because I was a young boy that was predacious and did get involved in some serious crime. But that is, again, it gives me the ability, unlike other people, to, to tell kids and to show kids, that's not the path to go down. And that's why I've been successful over the last year, because people, will listen to me well listen to what I've got to say because I've experienced that I'm not a preacher I'm not like you James as well what you've said aye, aye, aye. you know they say that they're both similar mm-hmm. we don't preach to people mm-hmm. but we do show a different way yeah. Mm-hmm. and that's what I've, what I've done and I'll continue to do that whether people want to view me in some way or another way or you fuck about that
0: aye. but a lot of, lot of people who watch like I say they'll, they'll take a lot of what you're saying because a lot of people maybe watch a couple of films as well when they go that's their life and that's what I want to be we spoke about life a crime or anything you do you've got two options Deed or in a jail that's, that's it. it that, that is that. it
1: 100% when that brings us there, so this, three tracks I had, I was boxing, boxing at international level, travelling the world at 14, 15, 16 year old, and I was obviously going out with pals, I was involved in international gang warfare basically, you know, you had to, I was affiliated with an organisation called the Capital City Service, the young laddies Edinburgh, and they were very close to that, very tight and we travelled around the country, travelled over to Europe, and it was great times and stuff like that. We could, that's With that mindset, looking back now, pretty silly thing to do. I wouldn't ask anybody or advise anybody to do it, but it was just us growing up. Or, but then I at the same time jumped into criminality and sort of things, and that was a path that I wish I'd never went down, in hindsight. But it certainly led me, as you say, to here now. That involved James getting involved in quite serious crime, probably, which then in 16, 17, 18, uh, the club scene came around. A lot of people remember that, this is 1988, and you had the dance scene in Edinburgh, hitting over the UK, another expose. And that destroyed the casual culture. Mm-hmm. Casual culture was then, it was about one-upmanship, commandership. But then once the sentences started coming in, people were getting jailed for it, you know. It's like it cut out in the middle. And also at the same time it happened that the the dance scene came along. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and that led me into that as well. I was quite well known in Edinburgh and I'd a sharp B brain and stuff for like that. And, I mean, looking back, I mean, as you say, I'm embarrassed with some of the stuff that they have done. I mean, we just pure downright, you know, predaciousness. Horrible. Of course, it
0: happens, but what, let us say, we all make mistakes and we all go down that path. But for anybody, what I don't agree with is anybody to throw something in somebody's face that's trying to change their life, because that, for me, is a coward. That, for me, is oh, a shitebag. That,
1: for me, is a criminal. But that's what that's what these big organisations do. They did not deal with the facts you bring up. What they do is they try and diversify it and just, poor, you to say that's who he is, Yeah. Them. You know what I mean? I'm used
0: to doing that. But but I, I think a lot more people know you and know who you're as a character. So, for that, people reading whatever they see in black and white, it's not going to stick for them because mm-hmm. they know that who you are as a character and what you're actually doing in the streets. Like I say, we've spoken about homelessness as well. And the stuff you do for the boys It's, it's brilliant because there's not a lot of people change, Brad. A lot of actions speak louder than words as well. A lot of people talk, they talk, but they don't fucking oh, watch it. True. That's it's true. Which is difficult.
1: And that we'd say uh, that we just where exactly along that timeline. So it's 17, 18, I was involved in clubs and protection rackets and firearms and extortion and stuff. Yeah, and I'm not proud of that, of course I'm not. But that to the term, that was what it was. And again, it belongs to that predacious nature. So I'm a wee bit different from the Allegraziano story where young boy goes down the wrong path and then turns, you know, or keeps him off the right path. I was on the right path and then fell off it. And it was through boxing that I go back on it. So I ended up again, we'll just get rid of the criminality stuff. and. End up, you know, getting it's quite a serious charge, high court trials and stuff like that. Moved into the club scene, shut everybody down, opened up my own places. As a young boy, I was only eighteen year old. And um and I probably got away with that and then so, so young, did you have anybody above you? Did you
0: have anybody guiding you? Because it, no. no. it's, it's such it's such a young age to be running
1: organizations like the ones you're talking about. Yeah, of course, there was people that were partners and stuff that way. But I mean I was you've got to remember that the, when the dance scene came along, you're talking in the city of Edinburgh. There was only 400 people that had caught onto the beat here. This is ninety eight, seven, eight to eight. And there was only like one club in Edinburgh called La Bell and Jail. yeah? So and that was the only club in Edinburgh. So and I and I was versed into it. And naturally the, the people that were involved in the casual scene, James, they were there like women the illuminators, the bee trendsetters and stuff like that. That's so what it started. Mm. So that'd be young people that created this new movement, yeah? I and mean, when the first thought when everybody else is walking about wearing their like white cards and stuff like that, the boys were like getting dressed up, stuff like that, mm. the best gear, bleached jeans, and stuff, the best trainers. You know, And again, that thing there, James, I always thought with that, that when the the casual movement first came about, it was about self-esteem. You know, what the protagonists that were involved in that was about because it's, it's a suggestion, isn't it? Look at me, what am I mm-hmm.
0: I'm
1: better than you. It's a mask. That's well, sure. well, well, uh, right. Well, and for me, the, what attracted me, football, wasn't really so much that, but was the use of violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was a wee boxer and I was a wee thing, and I was just, I was predacious. There's no doubt about that, you know.
0: Because that obviously made you obviously made you feel important as well because people wanted you in their circle. And obviously, when you had that talent as well, that's why it's such. Like Scotland's like Edinburgh, Glasgow, it's tough because when you've got a talent, people leech on to it. you but as soon as that talent goes, you're fucking there yourself and nobody cares. It's hard to, there's no any role models to look up to in Glasgow, Edinburgh because all these football players and all these people are doing well. They kind of go off a right path whether it's drink, drugs, gambling, they kind of struggling themselves. It's hard for anybody to really find a role model to really look at and say, model image them and become them. It's it's difficult. I think sport players are like So when you um, obviously did the boxing scene, was there a time you felt like, we, was people trying to pull you aside as well? We used the or We just made your own mind up no, it was that. me that, it done it. Aye, you to take full responsibility in your
1: actions, didn't you? Me. I wasn't led by anybody, Paul. Then they, they, the decisions that I made at that time were again born through predaciousness, Paul. I've no go and I'm taking that, mm-hmm. and that. There's little that. I went through a high court trial where I could end up with 15 year, end up getting four year for a for an extortion. Yeah, what age was that? I was, um, it was night. I was 18, just turning 18. Just on 18. Yeah, so could have been 10, 15 years. The minute I hit that prison cell, Paul, this is the truth. Yeah, and I'm, no, I'm no shy to say it, or ashamed to say it. I knew it was the for me, mate. Mm-hmm. And I'm no big thing. I was a wee guy scutting about with a sharp brain, making things happen. The mm-hmm. biggest, hardest guy in Edinburgh and stuff like that. But I had a way to, had a sharp brain, mate, how to connect things together and how to make things happen. With the biggest security company in Edinburgh. I had three of the best nights in Edinburgh making fortunes of money. But I, already at that age, it just happened so quick, Paul, that I realised that money was the for me, Paul. Or oh, even back then in 1987, 88, I knew that money was there for me. It never interested me, pal. What did it buy you? What did it didn't buy you nothing. didn't mean anything, to me. I had my wee mum and stuff, my brother. That was it. I had my pals. And so that was, so the second I hit that, that, that soaked in prison, pal, I was like, what the fuck, mate? You know what I mean? This is nae place to me. What I've jeopardised doing, and that was, you know, it was a lot of things. It was a huge, big trial, pal, which could have went wrong, but never, thankfully, touched me. it went right. And so eventually get. I think one of the channels was, was extortion for an estate agents. So, and that went me to day four years in prison, Paul. So, and I just knew from the second I was in there that I had to get out of there. And the way to do that was to get back on the only thing that I knew was right was my boxing.
0: Because you said you'd done a lot of reading in there, educated yourself. Uh, but
1: it was sported well in just a way and just re- looking back and realising that crime is in the way to do things, Paul. I mean, it's now again, I say that thinking back. And there's many young kids, I'm not a preacher, Paul. There's many young kids and friends that I've got that are involved in a criminal life. A very high order criminal life. You know, they're getting huge sentences of 15 and 20 years. Mm-hmm. For the last 25 years here, James, I've been nothing but just a, a, a gamekeeper party. Mm-hmm. say, people, it's not the way to go. And I have preached that, but I've never done it huge way. I did not even go and shout I'm not a preacher, right. here, so. There's
0: no necessarily that we're doing is right either, but it feels right for us, Brad. Oh, it feels right Do for you. Do you know what I mean? We're doing the right things. And myself being from it's, we can't. You can't preach. It's, everybody's in journey We have found a wee bit of light where we can go. To right. We have found a lane where we feel good. We're doing good, and it we, everybody benefits. We're not talking for books. We're yeah. talking fair experience. experience. We're oh. talking about we've seen the life of misery. We're talking for dark fucking places. We're talking for your mark. I'm not visiting a jail. We're talking about them greeting and worried sick about you. But yet, we're it and jump about with the boys who so don't really give a fuck about us anyway. Do I you know think what I mean?
1: That's more pertinent now in this day and age because has moved forward two generations now and the kind of sentences you're getting are all four years. Mm-hmm. The boys now that are coming fae, from the areas of Edinburgh, yes, without naming any names. They're all in the 15s and 20s part of the stuff right. there. they're doing. Massive drug culture, firearms, very prevalent in Edinburgh, you know, or, or in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the new game. And these are, as we spoke earlier, James, these are young boys, 18, 19 years old now, that are international criminals, that I've that, that are dealing in four and five in Spain to Argentina to... You know, no, you over, over in Amsterdam, aye. you know, they're, they're not just dealing in Porcel Park, Right. you know, the lads of postal are all, everywhere, aye. over there, I'll just say that because I know you're from there, don't aye. Aye. It's like, So it's a different game, so it's hard to preach to a young guy, and also, something worth touching on now, you know, I'm not a social saviour, pal, you know what I mean? I'm not, like, mm. trying, to, trying to say, i only just try to do my wee bit, which I do, through, which we'll come to, but the kids that are there now, that are in that, have they got any choices that now, because what I see in the communities of Edinburgh, which I'm sure can be you know, transported to Glasgow, to Aberdeen, Dundee, is that there's no opportunities for kids now. You know, if when you're socially and economically excluded for taking part and stuff in your own community, unless you've got money. Mm-hmm. You know, the community centres don't have any services that are free, basically now. You've got to go in and buy your, judo you or your things and stuff like that. Everything costs money. So there's no community groups. You know, the, the council's now, have mean, they've rip, had the heart rip to it and we funding, so they're not putting much on and stuff like that. So would, you, would anybody in society now no, not expect that kids coming from these communities will get involved in crime. Mm-hmm. So when you came out after your sentence, because we when I was in the sentence I actually right. used boxing to actually get out, right. What I done was uh, I started boxing again and mm-hmm. then I, while I was in there I was
0: I actually had a fight for a title fight, I did got you know? Two
1: ta- I got released actually I'm laughing back at now. I got took a prison van and taken away to the Glasgow actually to the Manit Hotel. And cuffs no in cuffs but in a, in a prison man dropped off boxed won the Western District Championships and taken back again then I got taken out two nights later to go and box for Italy Scotland Italy for old Alec Morrison Glasgow great I there. Like there. There. shout out a I. Alec Morrison who was my mentor yes a mm-hmm. great guy old Alec and um, he he um, got taken out in a box against Italy to the Italian champion in the second round as well then 12 weeks after being released to prison I fought for the British title as an amateur so I just trained in there I was just a manic trainer as always did and so I I used, stay
0: focused in there though, because
1: what well, was difficult for a wee guy friend like that mm-hmm. and having all you big bad guys mm-hmm. say, Brad Welsh, we're getting it, <laughs> still here, <laughs> telling your story, yeah, still here. No, no, so no, that no, was good. It was educational prison, but we're we'll making white here for anybody watching us. Prison's the place to be, mate. Big bad boys in there, Aye. The big serious time, you know what I mean. And the boys that are in there, and then that, that's their you know, they're not greeting about, they're not greeting about. Maybe worthwhile saying, James, that what I see in the communities in and the kids that are doing that, that are 18, 19, doing huge prison sentences, it's just my opinion. You know, because I'm close to the ground. I work in these communities. I work with young kids from six-year-old up to, fucking 16-year-old. And at gymnasiums, I'm constantly working with people with trying to use boxing as a medium to get them in and get them fit. Because if they're fit and they're healthy, their brains are working and the chemical balance is there. They're not taking drugs. They're not getting involved in crime. But it doesn't just work like that, bro. You've got to get kids when they're young. Yeah. You know what I mean? But again, back to what I was saying, if you, the boys are out there that are doing this, well, these young lads that are in there, and I know several of them have got good pals that are in there doing heavy sentences, and I know of many others, the brightest young guys you've ever met in your life. These guys would be, if they went to university, would be running multinational companies. Right. In fact, they do run multinational companies because different facets of operations that they're doing mm. are multinational now. And it's like, it's such a shame that that's been the, the pathway for a lot of our brightest young guys. Mm. Good people and demo who are forced together to then use the law of the jungle. The law of the jungle is violence. Mm-hmm. You only win with violence aye. in we Nobody just being smart because the smartest guy sitting there now isn't the guy that's winning now. It's the guy that's the most violent.
0: Oh, aye. Well, that's where they get the reputation though. Well, exactly. And that's where you can get power. And that's the rank thing. But like I say, a lot of these tough men who think they're tough, as soon as they get fucking that cell door gets shut, a lot of them get addicted to the brown, the white, or whatever exactly. it is in there. So because they can't handle it. So everything is mentally, and like I said, ninety percent of the people in the jail are, are dabbing on, are dabbling on something, which is tough as well because these are good men. Again, everybody, I believe, everybody's got goodness in them. Everybody's got greatness in them, but it's to channel that. We've been lucky enough to go right. Wait a minute, I was in the drug scene, gambling scene. I was in everything, but for me, it was, I was escaping. I was running away for sure. these in here. I didn't know who I was because I. I this persona on for so fucking long that it was just on act so eventually i didn't know who i was so you're like an onion you just wrap yourself around in so many layers that you forget who you are. and then luckily enough i found a lane that i love i enjoy and i can do good things for it listen i'm not fucking saint I makes mistakes every day and there's things i still do and i'm not proud of but we're human beings we're yeah. going to make mistakes cool. do you know what i mean That's just part and parcel of life so for all when you came out the jail started the boxing
1: started the boxer, i used i used box when i came out on the british title and then from there I went on an international. I was quite good again. I'd been putting a lot of energy Let's be clear. When I was 16, 17, 18, I was running on three tracks: criminality track, boxing track, and the casual scene, yeah? Try to juggle it all. Juggling it all, pal. No good, 30% of each of them, yeah? Um, and so I, I do wish, I, I do regret with the boxing because I never really tested myself, pal. Mm. When I won the British title, I was the best I was at and I was decent. But then I was coming out and dealing with all these demons, pal. I was coming out with dealing with being in a small goldfish bowl in Edinburgh: Brad Welsh, Brad Welsh, Brad Welsh. So what I've done, James, is a uh, Travelled the world for about eight months, boxing in international competitions, Canada, Turkey, Italy, all over the world, yeah, as an international boxer. And I was like, when I was going to turn pro or not. And I should have went to the Commonwealth Games. I went to the pre Commonwealth Games in Canada. And um, this was in 2004, James, yeah? Mm-hmm. In 1994, sorry, I just was 10 years there. In 1994. And um I um, went there and I basically watched the style of boxing and it just never suited me. I was stuck in Edinburgh, I was training, I was traveling three hour Morrison's every day kind gone through when I even before I turn pro, and then I made a mistake. I made a mistake of turning professional. I should never have done it. Now, just to be clear, I was a young, good amateur boxer, British champion, was very good, and it wasn't like I was involved in a thing. So just to believe it, mentally, I believe that mentally, I was in the wrong place to be. And then where I was getting trying to get dragged that way, I had no financial income coming in, and I went and turned professional, and I basically boxed seven times away with Alec and stuff like that, One seven contests. And then I had to get out of Edinburgh, you know. Old Alec was great with me. That's a natural progression of the past when you turn for an amateur to a professional. You went with Alec Monster or Tommy more. I went with Alec and I basically used it to get myself over to America, yeah. So, what i done was I signed a promotional deal. I, I arranged my own deal with a company called USC, United Sports Corporation. Um, and I basically got them to pay for me to go live in America. So, I went and travelled. I got out of Edinburgh. That was what I wanted to do. Mm. I wanted to I was even about boxing. I oh, can honestly say to you, James, and I can. Be hand on that. I didn't love boxing pro, I didn't love the professional game, passion. I saw it as, as just a vehicle for me to, and I'm not making excuses because, let's be clear, I wasn't good enough as a pro, whether that was because I never put the work in or whatever it was, I wasn't good enough, that was it, alright, mm-hmm. so, and I'm actually happy at that because at least I've got my faculties about my stuff like that and I'm not getting raped off some manager or promoter somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. while well, I'm in there getting my face punched on. but we'll come to that in a second, I went to America and I travelled New York, Miami, Detroit, Vegas, um, went with all the gymnasiums in America I like, went a three-month trip and eventually I have ended up staying in Los Angeles with Freddie Roach, who's the world renowned trainer. So, How being? I was with Angelo Dundee in Miami for a couple of months, with my pal. But I got USC to fund it and pay for it. There was a gentleman that made a big success. I think I'm Angus Morrison. He made a huge success in a company with my help, because I was a young boy at 14. It's karma, James, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 14-year-old, I was telling him what tracks used to buy and what trainers used to buy. And he was putting them in and they were making fortunes with them. So. Fifteen years later, ten years later, I beat some of the guy again, and he becomes my manager, sponsor. Sent me to America. Lived over there for like a year and a half. Did the box, so I had one contest. So I was using, I was using that relationship that I had with somebody in the past and boxing as a vehicle to escape myself, gyms. Mm-hmm. And I realise that oh, now. Aye. So I got over to America, and I stayed there with Freddie Roach. Um, trained with Angelo Dundee in Miami. Went to Detroit gym as well. Um, and then basically set, set myself in America, got a nice apartment over there and they subsidised me and funding me. I eventually did have a contest over there, which I have to tell you about, and um, so I was now basically 9-0 as a pro, yeah, and I boxed a guy called Jesus, yeah, and I think it quite remarkable that I've Jesus doing twice, but he kept getting marked up again, yeah, and actually Jesus, and it was just a brawl, mate, And I mean I don't know what went on, mate, it was just a pure brawl. I got two public warnings, he got a public warning, he was doing twice, But I lost, Jesus Mm. got the decision, yeah. So, I'm always quite keen to tell people that I was a professional and I only lost once to Jesus. Jesus, (laughs) that's a good one, isn't it, So, came back from there, when I came back lived in Edinburgh, pal, that was where I sort of went, what we call, under the covers. I was lost, James, yeah. Anyone that knows me back then will know I was a very private person.
0: What age were you in, Brad? I was
1: 25. I know
0: of other people always try to get away. Sometimes the grass isn't always greener because the demons oh. were battling up here, doesn't matter where we go.
1: I wasn't so much demon, James. I never had mental health problems. I was just, I had this ideology that, and it goes back in the way that my I was in is the police in Edinburgh, and I've no touch on that. They planted ammunition on my car, James you know, when I was a young boy, mm-hmm. and try to get me done with that, which I never got done with, but they've done that. So I felt that if I was in Edinburgh, I was always a target. So you're always, I was always, it? and I wanted I just thought it was good sense to escape Edinburgh. And not have to deal with any problems that might have arisen mm-hmm. through. Because it was just like, mm, things can happen, you anyway. know.
0: In case you get stitched up and you're doing a big sentence for it and you're yeah, like. I it. just
1: felt that that was the, that, that was the way into, get. And also, I wanted to get away. I wanted to get away and focus on my boxing. But I realised I didn't love boxing. So I was just chasing my tail, Paul, you know. Came back to the end where I tracked back up here and I'd done James, what's called, has gone under the covers, all right? And I went under the covers for about six years, mate. And I just cut myself for a bit, even stoke kind of was the training sporadically. I had a two contest back here where a good man in Glasgow called Tommy Gilmore. Yeah, but let's face it, my heart wasn't in it and I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't like a Josh Taylor who had do everything's right for him. And just as a young amateur boxer, I was very good and I, something probably could have been done with it. But I'm happy and contented in myself that. You know how things arrive and how the land, I didn't have any misgivings when I came.
0: But I know you say we talk about channels and energies. I think if you focused instead of the 30% it hubs or boxing when I was I, a young boy, if
1: you focused 100%. Yeah, but then wouldn't have went, I wouldn't have been there at the with people because they going to prison and because of you know dealing with what I was dealing with and coming back here. i had been feeling frustrated when I was here because it seems like I couldn't move, you know what I mean? I was suffocating. I, was I mean, but that's why I went to America and it was good. I done that. I went to America and I got away from it and sorted myself out when I came back. It was like I wasn't sort of do it. And I spent six years, thought a lie, in my bed, reading books. What did you do that six years? Read? Just read and just kept my income. And I've got good friends and just... And I thought it was great. I didn't have money. I've never chased money, James. I'm not... People in the end. I forgot there's a point that think, I've got money. I didn't, I didn't earn money. And I've always thought it was a root of evil, pal. You know what? Is a i I not a fucking Fiat Panda. Hmm. I'm not a Machiavellian character that is involved... And I, how I can explain that, and I know that people get that though, is that even like Warning and Boulders Greatest, and even like Council, they give me the keys to like I do huge events, I do like Pinch Street Gardens, that's all. I'm not kinda of criminality something that for that day in and and the in prison I decided that this is more for me. There's nothing that you can do to earn money that would justify the, the, the ending up here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter it doesn't matter, I'd rather be with my people. Couldn't buy my wee mum, couldn't buy my turn with my brother, my family, my nephews, two wee too many nephews, feel it. So so for that day, I, I, I turned away from that point since then. And that, James, that is now for six years after coming up the other end of the six years, I basically put my head under the covers for the age of 25 to 30 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that had that broke down relationships with people and stuff like that. You know, it was like it wasn't a lot of dating. I was doing like. nothing, James. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Doing absolutely nothing. And then when I hit 30, I just um well I met a beautiful woman, my, my fiance, yeah? And then it was the hundred cards that I just I started clicking back in again, and I just knew that my savior again would be boxing it. Mm-hmm. So I got involved um, and I and, and so, so my, after my 30th birthday and I would changed changing sort of environment again in the sense, got a new flat stuff just put was was the drugs involved, I wasn't the thing I've been out partying and drinking and stuff like that. You never used to drink, I never touched alcohol until I was twenty-seven years old, eh? Never been a big um, um, never been a big supporter of anybody that takes drugs and stuff like that. Yes, I've had the occasional wee dabble with stuff like that. Who's knowledge, a young guy going up when I was doing that thing about there's never been any problems in my life with mental health or drugs and all like that. It was just literally that I decided to cut out and just spent a lot of time with myself, mate, you know. What I mean? you worked on yourself. Aye. And it just like and then I opened up Hollywood boxing gymnasium I and this is where things started this is 13 years ago, yeah.
0: Cause I know we speak about the boxing and, and like I say, a lot of boys who you know as if they'll know make it, but are kind of getting used in the boxing industry for... You
1: made to put st- Aye yeah. mate, to put asses so. on seats I opened an amateur boxing gym to simply to give kids the opportunity to use physical fitness, mm-hmm. the boxing training, and its tenants to actually better themselves. Mm-hmm. So I, done it, I opened up it in a marginalised dinner called Craig Muller out in the south of Edinburgh, yeah? So that was like 13 years ago. Me and a chap, Jimmy Welsh, we opened up together and it wasn't really about finding boxers because I saw the prepared. It wasn't me because I wasn't good enough. It was just, I saw the way that the professional game was run. That's loaded. You've got young kids who have dreams and aspirations. They turn them professional to then, to go and win world titles. But really, they've got managers and promoters who they fuck all for them. Absolutely nothing for them. So it's due to the individual. And that was what I felt like. I mean, whether it's right or wrong. Again, they, they fought with the two managers. I wasn't good enough. But, you know, back then there was no like, training camps. and There was no, like, they', they put anything into you. Yeah? Mm. And it's the same now. Young kids now turn in professional. Unless you've got real smarts in your hands, you're you're going to end up just a ticket seller for people. I believe that. And I see it in Edinburgh and I see it in Glasgow. Now you've got young kids turning. The, the natural pathway, James, used to be that you served your apprenticeship. There's a magic number in box and it's ten. To be the, to win a Scottish title, ten years training. Four times a week, you win a Scottish title. That's the number that pervades through it. Then you've got ten thousand hours, which to be an outwear, you'd be the best ever, you'll win a world title. If you can put that many hours, mm-hmm. that'll take you twenty years to get that, seventeen years or sixteen years. You know, that's the magic number with that. But you've now got young kids turning professional because they're getting offered these ticket deals, and they've not even won a Scottish title. But only young kids, if they want to turn professional and go be professional, get an experience and get a lifetime experience an amateur boxer, mm-hmm. and travel the world. Because these are the guys that are winning stuff now. Josh Taylor, Lee McGregor, international superstars, winning Britishes, going to the GBs, turning pro, they make it. Young kids, I'm not saying that a kid can't make it because mm-hmm. you've got desire and you've got. Well, of course, passion. Yes, you've got ah, passion, yeah. you're going to do it. You know, there's a lot of good camps in Glasgow now and stuff like that, and there is a lot of good boxers coming for that. But it's just that I see that they're turning pro too early, mate. Mm-hmm. And it, let's, let's be clear here the professional boxing industry bastardizes the amateur industry. Mm-hmm. The amateur industry is about young kids in gymnasiums, given the role all be trainers. Then what happens is they go to turn pro and they jump over. So it's just like, these are just nursing accounts for our business. Mm-hmm. And even these professionals using amateur gyms, wrong. And they're getting serious. It's not going to be popular to be saying that with anybody that knows boxing, but it's no fucking right. But it's the truth, but they're going to get seriously injured then as and well. And there's young kids turning to go now, we're not even winning Scottish titles, like 10, 12, 14 bouts, stuff like that. Not even winning a Scottish or British or anything like that. And it's a very hard thing Then I'm not saying did do that, because if you're a young guy out there and you're watching this, and you're going to do that, you go with what you believe is right. You know what I mean? I'm just saying from what I'm seeing, overall. So... Back to Hollywood Boxing, I opened up that 13 years ago and I used to open it as a gymnasium, a gymnasium, not a boxing club. So I started to engage in the community and it's just went, mate, it's went huge. I mean, it's the busiest gym in Edinburgh by far. But again, we're tenants on this gym. It's not about, it's not important that kids realise their dreams. It's mm-hmm. important that they can dream, mm-hmm. you anyway. know And that's it. So for 13 years we've been there, amateur club, done all the stuff, trained champions, all that. But then I got involved in the event structure as well because I got a wee flair for doing that kind of thing. So I took Hollywood Boxing. These I'm in a Boxing Scotland. to a great organisation. I've got about 120 clubs up in the country. These are clubs and communities that are offering young kids, yeah, the opportunity to participate and take part in events. And gym. Mm-hmm. if you have, kid wants to be a boxer, they're going to do it. Yeah, it's about creating the platform for them. That's mm-hmm. all. What have what
0: you're doing? That's so what
1: I've done. So that for that gym there, we've, we've done, but we what's quite unique. What we done is we then went on to sort of like huge events and we gave young kids for the areas the opportunities to participate in very large scale operation boxes. We like went huge stuff, big stuff in Europe. Mm-hmm. So for the last five years we sold at Dasher Hall, which is two thousand seven hundred pieces. Is that about.
0: that place the video we showed uh, us? That is, um,
1: that is a phenomenal and place in there. Better you? than that we've done five years ago just before my six years ago before my mum passed away. My mum passed away five I'm years ago. Sorry what to what hear she,
0: that. So what was her name? Patricia. Patricia, shout out to Patricia. So
1: she um before that, we'd done a, a, a huge, big event. Along with the guy who run boxing Scotland, the guy called Richard Thomas, who's basically took the sport and dragged it by the scuff of the neck up to the year two thousand and fifteen at the time, mm-hmm. yeah, thirteen sorry. And we um, we'd done Prince Street Gardens, and we sold it to about three and a half thousand people. So I put in my promotional campaign because I was a club promoter. I never mentioned mm-hmm. that ever. I'd done all the clubs' events stuff for that and went to promote. Went mm-hmm. to get out there. And Where did
0: you learn all that, Brad? Because your mind's sharp. Like I say, before we were, before we started, we were talking and the things. The ideas you've got for the future, and the things you set up, it's it's run smooth, it's run, and it's not just small scale events. Oh, it's, it's
1: hard working people, probably. if anybody uh, saw about hard work. But probably. where did that come from, the organisation skills? Then, well, I've done organised Scotland's biggest gang probably. Mm-hmm. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Then. There you go. there's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> but then it must. But, to, but today, that is such a young age, you must have had that. Like I say, You're very. No, no, you're very sharp.
1: Yes, yeah, so I've always been. People have always me hyperactive child. Mm-hmm. And, and I still am, and to this day, I'm still a thousand miles an hour, yeah? That's what I do, yeah? It's like I worked today, went like today, I'm a 16 hour day mate. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's what I do. And again, back to that, that's because I said that to you. Earlier. I spent six years in my bed, mate. Mm-hmm. I've not been a job, James. I've never a work mate, I've always done things for myself. And chasing financial orientation's never been my thing. I'm scared to do that. I went and it's still, yeah we're bankrupt anyway, I'm coming to that just now. So, um, we, um, putting on these large school events it created opportunities and I had a vision for it Yes, yeah. so I went to Pinch Street Gardens done that and then it just was six years down the line so then over the that's been quite transformational for me probably because as I was doing that and stuff it was very good to do and it's very I enjoyed doing stuff. it and stuff rewarding because you're putting on huge events and you're entertaining people and it's good the money it came out of and then opened up other gyms so what I done was when I found the money it came I set up a charity called ABA Limited mm-hmm. along with um, two very very good um Friends who are um, big businessmen in Edinburgh, they do put in their, so they've started to guide me a little bit, yeah. And we opened up an insta charity to engage with people, to basically engage with kids and create opportunities. So we opened up 10 or 12 boxing gyms in the country. And I partner in Glasgow actually at the time, a guy called Sam Kinnock, who does. Uh, oh, Sam? I. Uh, I uh, Sam. It's AMG. So we were doing really well. We opened up an alternative amateur association against, against um, and Parallel Box Boxing Scotland. But Sam went and got the, the hook in his mouth for uh, the guys for MTK. He got offered a professional deal and wanted to go into professional boxing, mm. which you've already said didn't meet my remit to what I want to do, yeah? Mm. You know, if people wanted to do that, so Sam fucked off and went with MTK, and I just stayed doing what I was doing, which was engaging with kids mm. and creating opportunities for them. So, and that's where I've been. So, but transformationally wise, after we've done the big events over the last four years, just after like we've done the still doing the usher halls, and then got involved in sort of charity stuff for some reason, I don't know why, yeah? So, I've been four years now creating a range stuff. Registered charities, pal, and what we're doing is ours is a small charity, it's all volunteer, not one person takes any money for it, mm-hmm. period. That's a charity.
0: Which is brilliant because we know all these big charities can take. That's right,
1: uh, and what we've done was opened up boxing gymnasiums and communities for kids to train in. So we've done about five, four of them in Edinburgh, we've done about 12 working in the country, and that was the vision to do that, to engage with kids. You no, know we find, boxers? A boxing gymnasium should be about, about for everybody, for the whole community going in. and I think most of them are in general except a lot of them are still running geared towards the trainers want to find the big enough diamond that they can aye, aye, aye. Up aye,
0: aye. make money for
1: exactly and so I'm against them if that's what people want to do that's fine I suppose that's how you create world champions eh? yeah? aye. so we went um, from there we went just, we were going from strength to strength and I got involved in food banks and stuff they've got a, a good partner in Edinburgh called Jim Slavin and the two of us decided that there was a Opportunity to help them engage more directly, not just through boxing but through other things, football and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, we, opened, we formed the 2 years co-founded an organization called Helping Hands. that's about four years. Which ago.
0: is amazing. You sent me the Facebook link and the stuff yeah. that you're so, doing on that with the young boys. Is. So,
1: Helping Hands operates under the Register Charity, it's an initiative for that. And what that is, it's an all-volunteer group which is set up to engage with local communities, pal. Mm-hmm. Right? Marginalized.
0: And how can people else get involved? What's this? What's the social media for that as well for Facebook yeah. and stuff? And just check out. But, it. It's
1: called Helping Hands Edinburgh. Right. Over the last four years, we've um, collectively we've done organised the biggest food banks in Edinburgh. We do like thirty ton collections just to rival the Celtic ones. So you know, we saw that by get working class people to work out and donate to their own communities. That's thing. So we've done that for about three years, and it was hugely successful. We then moved into doing um, initiatives, yeah, sport initiatives, where we provided free football training. And uh, man Andy McLaren and stuff like Andy's that. Andy's brilliant. Uh, guided us through. he's doing very similar work mm. in Glasgow. Aye. So we looked at his model and stuff as we were doing it. We took some bits from that, but again, it wasn't to find football players. What we actually done was very unique, yeah. And we actually got professional football players in like Paul Kane, Mickey Weir, Alan McLaren and stuff like that. Um, and we got them to um, to come in and give structured coaching mm. for free. So we went into the communities, reclaimed the local parks, yeah cleared on a dog shelter, put signs and stuff up, talk to the people in the area. Mm. This is your park, it's where you are, because the services are. Mm-hmm. The community centres can't get it because you need money to get it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And if you want to play football, you've got to play the subs. So there's a, a whole wealthy town out there and young kids that are being marginalised and alienated for access and free football. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it's Alan um, and he's been harking on it a bit through there and his, his operation huge. So what we have done was our first year, which is three years ago. We um, went into the communities, with six of them, and gave free football coaching. We'd almost done about four thousand kids. Yeah. For us, we done it for twelve weeks, and then it we ended with a festival of football. In Edinburgh, so we took all the kids, to all the communities in Edinburgh, and we brought them into the city centre. And there was like six hundred kids there, and get, we had Scott Brown there, we had We um, Griffiths, we had um, Kenny Miller, we had John McGann, we had all the Hearts team, Hearts team stuff like that coming to inspire the kids, They say to them, "You belong here." So. I've always through the boxing gym, that's what I've always been. I've learned that boxing gym because it, it, it gives something to kids, mm-hmm. and it gives something not just to kids, but we touch on the cellar, to adults as well. Mm-hmm. If you're in a gym, whether it's a boxing gym or a karate gym or whether you're at the gym, yeah, training, physical exercise as a human being of course. will stimulate you. Of course, it'll, it'll clear you up, it'll sort of the toxins in your Fence body, depression, and it fights and that's I don't even right. shout about that, but a lot of people that do come to the gym and stuff like I do that are people that are needing some mm-hmm. of that in their life. And
0: I'm there to inspire you you're providing. Like I say, when you are exercising, whether it's boxing, football, it releases serotonin, drinking. endorphins, dopamine. This is the stuff that fights depression. This is the stuff that makes you feel good. But it only lasts for a few hours and then it when goes dip, away. Exactly. It has a dip again. So this is why... Your body starts claiming Aye, I pace, know, because it's it. nat- a the natural buzzes. So when somebody gets that buzz, that's why a lot of people turn to drinking drugs because it gives them that buzz right. where they feel important. But all the stuff you're doing for the kids, mate, I take my hat off to you because, like I say, the life you've came through and, and what you've done, it's led you to the path you are now. And this isn't just one or two boys, this is hundreds and thousands of people are coming through yours to today what
1: you're course, doing. well, the gyms do that and it's great. To the so, and then for the last three years, I've been I've been entrenched in this, putting on initiatives for kids. This year, we went into, I mean, really remarkably this year, a lobby box in Scotland, social bite. And um, we went into in Irvin Welsh, yeah, mm-hmm. who we are, are inspired to get behind us and put a bit of money into it, yeah. Quite hard to get money to Irvine by the way so <laughs> we went into Edinburgh and what i done was an idea to take Hollywood and to create Holyrood and all the areas in Edinburgh that don't have boxing gyms because I believe that a boxing gym is a place that, that should be community-led and it's about the it's a space for people to go to it doesn't matter whether you can box it's about the physical side and the mental side and applying yourself was touched mm-hmm. on that. so I went and this year opened up 12 boxing gyms in Edinburgh so I opened up a boxing gym in the communities in Murray, and um, so,
0: that are deprived areas. Or, or, or can we well,
1: say I, I know you they're, know. They're Marginalised in the mm-hmm. sense that you know the 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 kind of people that live there are on the economics, you know, at the bottom half, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And they like, say there's no work for kids to do. That's that. So I picked the areas. And I picked twelve of them. It was a huge project. And I went wind, and I took a box of gym to all these community centres. So for six weeks we engaged with like six thousand kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah with phenomenal numbers and that was helping hands that done that so we went there and also had free along with the Scottish Government at one point we we were giving kids access to free food and water and stuff like that on the sessions as well that's brilliant are
0: you getting any backing
1: for anybody Brad? no I believe that it's even though we've got a registered charity which is Oscar led how I mean, can
0: people what's the charities Ah,
1: we didn't want anything See, this is the no thing. no but
0: for people to take a look and...
1: well just Ed Help that's it and other mm-hmm. one's ABA Limited which is it's uh, which is a parent yeah it's mm-hmm. like I didn't believe it's the, the way of the charities part that you should be asking the public for anything mate mm-hmm. which brings us nicely to this yeah? Yeah. so for the last four years just to summarise again I've been sort of embroiled and entrenched in this poverty industry and this year James I've turned away from that mate yeah turned away from that because selling and our co-founder and our staying group we realised that what we were doing was even though we're doing good with food banks and we're doing good, quite like this year as well, I helped social bank, as you mm-hmm. know. Aye, yeah. Josh, right. so sure yeah. so um out the we big things. so we've done that as well. But it became aware to us that we're just like them. How does the general public, when they see me organising a food bank, differentiate between me and these people that are businesses living off poverty outside supermarkets asking you to buy for the supermarket to donate? Supermarkets fucking love it. Buy our food but give it to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, these big organised charity businesses, Paul, it was hard for the public to recognise what we were doing is different from what they were doing because none of us take money, we're no business and we're just we're trying to help our people in our community that need it, yes? These businesses that are set up, all of them, charities in general, there's two types of charity. When it's a charity, there's somebody out there on the front line doing good. It's a small operation, probably going to get any funding and they need a wee bit of help, yeah? In the community. And there's other ones who are conglomerate businesses, yes? Who... Are, set, are billionaire companies that are set up with the sole purpose to beg the public for their money so they can ascertain what they did with it. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, take half a million pound running costs for it. So, you no, know, we decided as helping hands. It was time for us to get out of the poverty industry. So this year, in our fifth year, we didn't do the food bank at Easter Road, which collects 30 tons. And the reason why that is, is food banks, people have got to understand. Yes, there's a need for them. But the Trust or trust and all other companies are set up hand in hand with Oscar registration as a charity, when the government's doing it, because if you've got the public donating to that, then the government does not have to do it. Mm-hmm. It's a systemic problem, people being hungry. Yes, all these people have fell through the cracks in the same way, homelessness, or the same way, anything like that. Yeah, and it's like systemic problems need solved with the government. The needs to do it. It's wrong and immoral that it should be solved by the public. Mm-hmm. You've been fooled, you pay your tax, mm-hmm. and now you're getting asked to donate to the Heart Foundation, Cancer Research. Just anybody that's going to give money to any of these companies have a look at where your money's going, right. and don't drop it in a bag. Take control and ownership of what you're doing, and give it to the frontline services. Don't give it to these big bastard business companies that have got half a million pound companies or CEO half a million running costs, half a million pound running costs, and CEOs on seven hundred grand and stuff like that. And it's and it's that's the thing that the, the hook is is that they think you're stupid. They think you'll no look at that. And see that you're just paying all their wages. Now, again, just to clarify, there is good charities out there. There's many good charities out there doing good work. Mm-hmm. But it's wrong to have companies set up solely to just ask the public for money, mm-hmm. because you've already paid your tax. The government are hand in hand with these people, while you keep paying for it, the government will not pay for it. And there's a big message in that there. A yeah, big So, which leads us nicely to that, that after doing James Day getting out of the food stuff, we've also decided, like this year alone, James, right, the Helping Hands, we were involved in a bike initiative where we had, like, we organised along with our partners, like 300 bikes to the kids in the community so they get up and get fit and healthy on it. We organised some food distribution, which we didn't want to do, but we had to because we, from the success of last year, we still had people wanting to come and give us food. But we've made it clear now that we're not involved in that. Hibernian Football Club, who we worked in partnership with, they've been made aware of that and it's due to them to take ownership of what they're doing and decide to that. The thing about food, when you donate food, As I, I was being disingenuous, yeah, because my experiences in the food bank, one of part, my partner, Jim, is that we were giving the food to these food banks, and all they were doing at Christmas time, which is when most people would donate, so we were going out there and getting 30 ton of food given to us, but that food, James, was going on the big truck and getting stored up on a big pallet, and the people at Christmas time and New Year weren't even getting that food. How? Because you need a ticket, James. You need a ticket. You've got to be referred to a food bank, mate. What? You've got to be referred to a food bank. So when...
0: So if you're starving and fucking potentially dying, you need a ticket to go and get and food. If you've to...
1: got two wee bears who are starving in the mm-hmm. house as well, you're not going to go to the social worker and say, I can't feed my bills," Because mm-hmm. now you've got social work involvement. So there's a whole... People, people that have got jobs, pal, they can't even feed themselves.
0: Now, two yes. jobs, aye? Exactly. When I was doing the soup kitchens and the food bank, uh, the soup kitchens and the tune, when I was doing my documentary on that, there's people that were in the soup kitchens that had two jobs that
1: were struggling to pay their rent, couldn't afford food. So you've got, and, this is, and the government's got a stranglehold on that because. You have to be referred. You have to have a, a doctor or a professional. That's like in social work or something like that. That's going to refer you to it, yeah. Now a lot of people did not want to engage with people because they did not want them involved in their life because you could lose their kids or mm-hmm. lose their family, or you've got an abusive husband or what's the situation mm-hmm. going on or an abusive wife. Right. Just keep that okay. politically connected. Yeah? Right, well, okay. So, but the um, so what happens with food? We were given over thirty of a year, but that was the like get of the career, and then we found out that this is along with the organisation we were dealing with but you need a ticket to go there. And when you went there, James, you got a bag of food that looked like that. Yeah, that's what I was saying. So what we done last year, as myself and the other members, of the steering group of LBARs, we divided up the food that we collected and we took it to the frontline services. We took it to the community centres. Yeah, So we gave half, 27 done of me. So We split up, got the vans, I organised all that stuff along with my partner, Jim, yeah, and we, we distributed it to all the community centres, which are frontline, who are working with frontline people are with and Real it's,
0: heroes of eyes.
1: Well, you know, the thing is, it's a bit of a thing like that, but it's something that you have to accept and the, the front lines right now are community centres which are council run, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right? But the people in there are doing a lot of good, but they are the front line because if they weren't there, they'd be fuck all there. they bodies everywhere as well. Yeah, exactly. So, we've done that last year. We just decided this year that by us doing the food bank it became so successful in the sense of the amount of food that we collected, which is never enough, but they, we were just the same as them. Mm-hmm. People, these people standing outside supermarkets saying it's a con, no money. It's like charities got to, they're, they're, James it's been 40 years in the making mate. Charity businesses are only 40 years in the making. Since when did we need fucking billionaire companies to set themselves up in the middle to beg us for money mm-hmm. to give to them so they can decide what they are? Just bypass them and give it directly. Mm-hmm. You want to help somebody, go to your local community and ask them what they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give it to people directly, give it to your neighbor. Where's this community aspect where we're now, we don't even fucking talk to our neighbours? Do you know what I mean? So break down society in that way. There is a better way, Paul. The better way is to cut out the big businesses, which leads us to where I am now, James, yeah? For this this year, I mean, that's just six months. I've done a bike initiative, done some food stuff for that, there, back into the box stuff for that, there. I mean, we've got projects lined up for next year we're going to do, which again is all going to be about engaging with kids. This year, we're going to roll out free football, boxing, judo, biking, rock climbing. And athletics. All right? unbelievable. So we're going to roll that out and give opportunities to all the kids in Edinburgh to take part in that for free. Yeah, that's a big, it's, a big, big thing. it's a big, big thing. How can people get involved and try and help you out, Brad? But again, but, again, back to that. We didn't want to ask the problem. What I'll do is i am we'll go to businesses that would perhaps in the past for, until I've spoke to them mm-hmm. would just be writing cheques and dropping them into big charities. Mm-hmm. Well, you're dropping that money into big charities... So on into somebody's pocket. first it goes into somebody's pocket. And again, just to be clear... Maybe be people here that are working for the charity. Yeah, she's doing a good job. It's great. But there's too many out there, pal. we see now. you know, we've been speaking about it for a number of years, but this year I took a bit of action on it, pal. Mm-hmm. This year, which leads to where I am now, so we're still doing the helping hands in this year. I will still continue to do the boxing. I've got big plans for the boxing this year. I want my boxing in Scotland to put on large scale events and create opportunities for kids to participate in boxing. Yeah. But I'll be doing this separate initiative by helping hands to do football boxing, in Juneau and what we're going to do is bus these kids into all these different places so we've got a transport network he doesn't know that he's doing it yet so I'll no mention him
0: but
1: <laughs> we've got him um, and we're going, to, we're going to taxi these kids in so that we can have different nights in each place and create opportunities for our marginalized kids in the areas of them, and we give a fuck all. and we get nothing because just this is life. Eh? We've got parents that I may be working who can't make ends meet? How are they gonna give their kid four or five quid or six quid mm-hmm. or pay the juice to go to a football thing? They carry there. So that's where I am. That's where I am there. This is where we brads ended up. If they're everything in the past and whatever it is, and the people have a shit and go to crack on you. But it doesn't affect me. Well, that's you know, what I'm, I'm saying. I'm for uh, the wine for I'm
0: anybody going. to try and tarnish your your name or reputation, no matter what the fuck you've done 10, 20 years ago. Twenty years ago, twenty five years ago. Is, is is embarrassing if, if you ask me, well, because what you're doing is with the Wayne's. I don't see anybody else making these moves. These aren't they just one or two kids. These are thousands of people. Also with the food banks, like I say, when you talk there, you can see your passion, you can feel it because you know the system we've got is fucking wrong. Let's face it, it's flawed. It's all bullshit. And for anybody listening, watching, like I say, getting to this Facebook page of the things they're doing is, is phenomenal. Get as much help. Like, I know you don't want help, but other people can get involved and other people can realise it's genuine how you want to help other people in
1: life. In uh, my help, that, so all you need to do is, all anybody needs to do is, is just look back to your old community and put back in there. Mm-hmm. And if we create that thing, we will no need these big companies mm-hmm. coming and begging us for money. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to where I am right now because I have over the last I took action over it this year, James. Last year, we um, we basically took so there's a chap in Glasgow called Andy Smiley. A lot of people will know him, big Andy Smiley, he's got t- scaffolding oh, yeah, at yeah, yeah. Andy last year the a thing called the Emily Emily Smiley Foundation, and he got in touch with me and he heard about. 20 grand worth of toys, he, had he bought all toys last year for a partner of like this, and he said Brad I've got some toys, can you distribute them in Edinburgh, because we've done a big toy distribution thing as well, and while doing that I came across this Cash for Kids people, who are in Glasgow, yeah, they're on Radio Clyde, and they're in Edinburgh, and I took the toys up there to them, because I had all these wee baby rattles left, and while I was up there I gave them these toys, and they had a warehouse, a warehouse I'm saying, full of toys right up to the gunnels, thousands of toys, it was the 19th of December, so they're collected all these toys, which was clear to me, yeah, at that time that they were never going to distribute them. So I said to the woman, I've got four vans here on the road, because I was doing a toy and bike and a show, yeah. We give thousands of toys and bikes and stuff like that. And we get funders to that, but then I ask the public for it. It's wrong to ask the public for it. You better find a funder, a businessman who's got who's got a, a, maybe a cathartic soul like myself, yeah, to put in and wants to do good. So and there was thousands of toys and it just was confusing. So we went and um how do we look and then Where that day, I heard on the radio, this um, Radio 4th that was, and it's it's the same as in Glasgow and the same in Aberdeen and all over. And I heard, well, we've not got enough um, baby toys and we've not got enough um, for 14-year-olds. Can you donate money? Five and ten pounds. So they're on the radio on the 20th of December asking for money, right up to the 24th of December. But they've got a warehouse full of toys. So it became strange. I was thinking, this is strange. I'd experienced them about the year before with another wee boy, but I'll not get into that just now. So therefore, I looked and I went to their bins, and so I have all these collection bins and points. All the bins were overflowing with toys, James. So I thought, they have on the radio asking for money. i have got a warehouse full of toys, and they've got collection bins that are erected, and it's now the 21st of December. So we monitored them right up to the 25th, 25th, 24th of December. They were still asking for money. So then, later on that year, once I had Christmas had over, we done a bit of investigation of them. They had an organisation called Bower Media, Bower Media are one of the biggest um, media companies in Europe. They've got TV channels, they've got they own all the radios, but pertinently they own 22 radio stations around the country, James. And they have 22 radio stations that they own. Yeah, it's in Edinburgh it's fourth one. In Glasgow it's Clyde, yeah? Then they've got Aberdeen one and stuff like that. And they do a thing called Cash for Kids. So you've got a billionaire company who use an apparatus, yes, which is the radio stations, who set up a charity called Cash for Kids. And they ask for cash. Now, it should be clear to everybody that's it's in the fucking name, eh? Cash for Kids. Why not? Toys for Kids. Why not? Help for Kids. And what they do is, is, they use their apparatus to beg the public for money. Now, I got involved with it, so this year, because I'm a little proactive guy, along with a, a group called the Toybox Working Group, helping hands and a young boy called Cody McManus, yeah, yeah. who had an experience the year before. We sit around collaborating together and have a wee run at them, yeah, to try and educate the public that this is a billionaire company using its apparatus, the radio waves, to beg the public for money. Now, Bower Media do not put one penny into that charity. The charity is solely set up to beg you for money. Now, they then set themselves up and take reflective glory for that as if they've done something. They've not done anything. They've just collected your money. Now, what transpired as well, James, they didn't have any infrastructure. So when they get the toys for the bins, they didn't have one van or one driver to collect that. What they do is that they make the their partners and the place that have their deliver it themselves. And then the toys, as they get collected, they claim to that the marginalised kids get them. Yes, they do. Marginalised kids do get them. But it needs to be a person that comes and collects the toys. Mm-hmm. So they've got a system set up with the infrastructure that does not the cost them, that, but a half a million pound running cost on their staff. That's what it is. So they are taking 3.5 million pounds in Edinburgh and a half a million pound that goes to them. For the apparatus they've already got. And they charge for the radio ads. They're a disingenuous organisation and I had a year of negotiation with them to try and say you need to put vans on, mm-hmm. because that way when you've got, if you've got vans, you'll not have a warehouse full of toys. Mm-hmm. Simple simple equation, warehouse full of toys, yes, no vans, no distribution, all the ideas is get vans and distribution and a control system my applications. It's a disingenuous organisation It's set up to use kids in poverty to facilitate their own self and to benefit themselves, that's it. Now I've came out, not just here, James, but I've been publicly mm-hmm. told of that in newspapers, and I've also put, um, videos and videography out there calling them for what they are. They're a disingenuous organisation doing that to benefit themselves. or are offsetting their staff costs, yes, which I believe is about £10 million over the whole of the UK. This is, this is not in Edinburgh. This is in Glasgow. This is in Aberdeen. This is in Dundee. This is anywhere there is, they have the they, anyway, they have their brands and franchise, all right, which is Cash for Kids. Yes, 80% of the money goes to where it's meant to go because they're audited and stuff like that. And they keep shouting that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that you just use the public while well, you do nothing. You use their time and energy, their volunteer. if you volunteer to them, you're not liking what I'm saying. You're thinking, "No, well, that's wrong. I've done that. Listen to yourself. You done it. No them. They just use us. They think we're all fools. They we think we're all second-class citizens, James. Now, when is that a good idea that a billionaire company sets up with like that and asks the public? Where do, the, do the toys them? go then? The toys stay until the next year. And then they give them out during the year, but wait a minute. The, the charity regulator clearly says, if you ask if i have saying to you, James, give me that bottle and I'll give it to a kid at Christmas time, yeah? If I leave it in a warehouse, I've not done my job ever. Mm-hmm. So there's with Foot Toys as well? Thousands of Wainsby without Toys. And what they are, a PR company probably. Now I've came out publicly and told them I'll call them again. You know, a bunch of cowards. That's what they are. Because mm-hmm. I've tried to get them into a court, The Why I want them into a court is because then I can rip apart the flimsy, disingenuous model but they've no done it. What they've done was a very, quite a cute PR campaign to put a tin hat on it. They didn't want anybody in Aberdeen, anybody in Glasgow, questioning what actually happened. They've no infrastructure. You cannot collect a million pounds worth of toys yeah, and money and not have a distribution network. But they can, because they get the idiot public to come and donate their time with their cars and stuff like that. Can you do that? It's, it's wrong. It's, it's morally wrong. They keep saying, i um, will go to the charity regular, go to Oscar, I'll go to some. Are we get fuck, you know what I mean? They, they, these people are saying... So you're happy. trying to take it to court? Done, well, they're looking at me to court. I've called them cowards that many times, they'll know there. No now, I know it's quite uncomfortable for a wee guy like me for the streets to actually say to a big conglomerate company like that. The guy lives in Edinburgh, James, right? And basically, I text him, and say to the guy, I'm outside the 4th one Awards, yeah? It's another money maker for Bower Media, yeah? Um, come and see me. He went to the police gym. Mm-hmm. Went to the police and said he felt friend. It's a guy called Graham Bryce, yeah, who's the head, an Edinburgh boy, who should have some kind of feeling and emotive content in regards to the communities of Edinburgh. I'm telling you that the toys, yes, do not get to the kids that they should get. Others have got a level of playing field where they give it 20,000 to these people at 50 quid each and it meets their numbers, yeah? They are charging half a million pounds to do that. I inspire and ask the public to no longer donate to charities like that. Then they give to these big charities. Give directly. you want to help somebody, miss it the middleman. these are basically cash for kids who take your money they didn't buy any toys yet. they collected over £350,000 last year and they spent £86,000 on that on toys now why are they asking for your money if they didn't spend that money on toys what they'll tell you is we give it out during the year well hold on a second it's Christmas time it's called cash for kids Christmas and Christmas give it out at Christmas so don't do that James but that's it So and for then,
0: people to educate themselves on who they're don't know Not just
1: cash for kids. All charities, guys. Mm. You've got to be looking now. You see, if you want to do, there's too many businesses out there that people are set up that are making money off kids living in fucking poverty, mate. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's not a business, guys. And
0: it's funny because it's the ones who donate money. It's the ones who give money. They've not really got much
1: money themselves. 100%. You're coming to in supermarkets and it's like, it's, if you want to help somebody, help your next door neighbour. Mm-hmm. or Go to the local community centre mm. and give it in there. Because that's the focal points where people are gathering and that though, mm-hmm. And it is council running. The council should be there as well. But unfortunately, they are there. And if people want to help each other. It's time to get back to that we start looking left and right, mate. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And that's it. Now, the projection for me going forward next year, I'm, I'm going into the Toy Box Working Group who just got funding. And it looks like that they're going to run an alternative toy campaign next year. So they're going to put 10 vans on mm-hmm. Edinburgh streets. Well, yeah. and they've already got 20 schools involved and 10 community centres. And what we're going to do is, because this thing about like if you want toys, you have to go and collect them. What that does, James, is it clips it, because social workers kind of use a uh, kind of use a work vehicle to go and get them. Mm-hmm. You've got to use their own car, so that's after hours. So all the kids that should be getting the toys, aren't they getting them. And all cash for kids are getting it is just a masterful PR campaign to say, look at our accounts, look at what we do. Well, unfortunately, the accounts fall down because when you collect over three or four hundred thousand pounds and you only spend eighty six thousand pounds, yet, you're failing. When you have a warehouse full of toys, you're failing. That's it. You need to put a distribution network on. Now I offered them to do that and said, you need to put a distribution network on. And all they done, James, is they dug their heels and went, well, middle-class millionaires, day, Right? And they think that, that this is not going to affect them. Well, it is going to affect them because the Toy Box Work Group this year will put on an alternative to make sure that kids in the communities get toys delivered to them. No have to go and queue like second-class citizens and sort it all themselves. Mm. Yeah? All right? So and they're going to do it for free. Uh-huh. So they'll put on ten vans. they have got a warehouse for it, and they have got funding for a man in Dubai who thinks it's a great idea. Yeah, and just doesn't like the way that Broadway Media use their use their wealth and their size. Yeah, I mean this is a huge billionaire company, mate. And again, they put not one penny in, so your money goes to paying half a million quid off your wages mm. every year for them to distribute your gifts.
0: No. but let's say, if they work. You're doing, Brad is unbelievable and, and like I say, you're a leader now amongst the men who's shown how it should be done. Six thousand wins, all these thousands of wins that are coming through with the Facebook. What's the sorry helping hands? Helping hands, helping yeah. helping hands check it out Edinburgh, then from all things. Again for coming on today, I appreciate that. But before we go, Train Two.
1: Oh yes, how and, did it go? Well, I've actually been offered another partner, a big film actually. <laughs> Train Two was just an opportunity for Arvin uh-huh. Welsh, the Pali, mind the power of went in But I came up to um Came up to the gymnasium at the time with Danny Boyle and so, that, like, you know, the story. I was originally written in to do with the guy with the pads. Yeah, That's what I did every day, James. Like the day I'll do mm-hmm. 200 rounds of pads, yeah. We're helping kids and, and, and people coming to the gym. And then they just he, Danny Boyle just sprung on me. He, um, i have done a thing called Pads for trying. You know that? I'm a aye, aye, Guinness aye. World Record there. i have done a Guinness World Record of there. i done 24 hours of pads right round. Aye. And and they came to that. So from that, they, um, they offered me an audition for a partner mm-hmm. to go and it's not the first time I've been in a forest for some days. so <laughs> <laughs> as, I know, I, as you probably know I, I played it wrong eh? uh-huh. I watched the part uh-huh. and then I said to Danny Boy. i have done a book launch for and Welsh and I said to him um, I went and done that wrong can I read can I come and uh-huh. do it and he went he went. I did it. i send me a show wheel, So I made up a show wheel and mm-hmm. I made up a big show wheel and, mm-hmm. and sent. That's unbelievable. What about films in Scotland? You can't, should can't, be proud I'm, I'm not sure about when my daughter's got to watch about narrative content. Yeah, <laughs> I mean? And that was my only concern. I didn't want. I've got my daughters. So I didn't want to glamorize any stuff. For of that course, part. but But you're playing a character, of and course, and it's acting. And they offered me uh, right at the time a, a big agency in London. I won't mention them. They said to me, "Come down, mm-hmm. We'll put you on a boot. But all they were ever going to do was cast type me. I was just going to be the big bad Scottish guy, correct?
0: Of course, but then it the i that, like to say for what you've came through Brad to everything you're achieving now Blockbuster follow doing all your stuff yeah. for charity doing all your stuff for the Wains I think it's phenomenal mate and yeah. for coming on today and taking your time and, and saying what you've got to say I appreciate it and oh, I wish you nothing but the best for the future Brad thank you very much, listen mate I really I'll appreciate that. thank you likewise yeah. Podcast Network.